You're listening to the Recoveredish podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist Amanda E. White. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited because my friend Sam, who you probably know from Instagram and TikTok, is here. She is a registered nutritionist. How are you, Sam? I'm good. I'm excited to be here and talk about all things social media because there's a there's a lot on there. That's for sure. Absolutely. We're also recording this in January, so yes. it's like the height of you know misinformation media. and weight loss <laughs> yeah. bullshit everywhere. Yes, a hundred percent. Exactly. Exactly. Well, if someone doesn't know you, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I, my name's Sam. I'm a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, certified personal trainer, and the founder of Fine Food Freedom. So Fine Food Freedom, although it exists on social media platforms on Instagram and TikTok, um, we are a virtual private practice made up of a team of eight registered dietitians, and we service clients all over the globe. So we have clients in Egypt, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, Canada, of course, the U.S. as well. And we're virtual weight-inclusive nutrition counseling. So we help people who are recovering from years of disordered eating, eating disorder. Maybe they have a new medical diagnosis and need medical nutrition therapy that isn't littered with fat phobia and weight-centric <laughs> advice. So we can help people that have diabetes, you know, high cholesterol, basically any medical disease or condition as well. So we're kind of doing all the things and just taking it day by day and trying to help as many people as possible make peace with food and their body. Amazing. So needed. So needed. I feel like what's so interesting, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, is Obviously, intuitive eating, weight-inclusive care has become a lot more mainstream lately. But I also feel like the misinformation has like matched that as well. So it's like more people know about intuitive eating, but more people also are being exposed to crazy diets and right, like Noom pretending to be intuitive eating and and all those things. What is your take on that? Well, you hit the nail on the head is the misinformation is just at an all-time high with social media being at, I guess, an all-time high of like use. And on our podcast, we have a podcast, What the Actual Fork, that I co-host with another dietitian. We had Evelyn Triboli on, who's one of the founders of intuitive eating. And she said, if you want to be confused about intuitive eating and get misinformation on it, just go on on social media and look up hashtag intuitive eating. And (laughs) it's like, it's so true. Like, although there are so many professionals out there like myself who are certified in it and who are trying to bring this framework, you know, to the forefront, there are so many people that are like, oh, I'm going to take this food freedom message and pair it with intentional weight loss because people Mm -hmm. can have whatever they want and lose weight and package it in this like bow and blast it out. And then everyone is so confused because you're seeing these words of intuitive eating paired with things that they shouldn't be paired with. Mm -hmm. And it is so confusing. Like the for consumers, the amount of people that come to us that thought they have tried intuitive eating before. And then once mm-hmm. we really start to have conversation with them, it's like, no, they were just on another restrictive mm-hmm. diet, but this person called it 
intuitive eating. It, it's so frustrating as providers because we want so deeply to help people. And it's like now you almost have to educate on how to read red flags on social media versus even educating on what intuitive eating is. We've just like, here's how to look out for what it's not. Yeah, because I imagine, right, initially people would just maybe they didn't know what intuitive eating Mm -hmm. was and you could be one of the first people to provide education. But now if people are coming in kind of saying, I already know what intuitive eating is, I've already tried it and it didn't work for me, Mm -hmm. it's going to be much more of a challenge to try to help them, I would imagine. Yes, that is so true. And I think a lot of people, like one of the myths that comes up for me when you say that is probably the one I see the most is people say like intuitive eating doesn't work for me. I just ate everything in sight and gained Mm -hmm. a ton of weight and felt like absolute shit. And then again, once we like dig deeper into that, we find that they think that intuitive eating is simply not dieting. And don't get me wrong, like that's a huge piece of it is walking away from restrictive dieting and these fad diets and, you know, calorie counting and macro counting and all of these things. But that is like 0.00001% of the intuitive eating framework. Once we stop dieting, then we can start to really, you know, go in on this framework, understand how the principles can be applied and whatnot. I always like to tell people like, that's amazing that you stopped dieting. That's amazing that you've given yourself permission to eat foods. And that's not intuitive eating. That's just not dieting. So you bring up a good point. If anyone's listening and they're maybe like, maybe I actually haven't tried intuitive Mm -hmm. eating or they're confused because they think intuitive eating is just not dieting. Can you explain what is intuitive eating? Yes. I know it's complicated. It is. It is. But I think it is, it's super important to give just very like basic elevator pitch. So it is an evidence-based framework. It was created back in 1995. It has been around the block for a very long time. So I think a lot of people think it's new. It has over 170 studies to date. And It is a self-care eating framework that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought and helps us regain trust with our bodies again. So diet culture will force us to rely on calorie counts, macro counting, portion sizes. Diet culture's entire mission is to shrink the body. Intuitive eating, the purpose of it is not to intentionally shrink the body, but to be able to trust ourselves and make connections to how we feel when we eat food. So there are 10 defined principles in the framework, and those range from rejecting diet Uh, culture, diet mentality, uh, making peace with food, honoring our hunger, respecting our fullness, coping with emotions with kindness, recognizing movement that feels good, gentle nutrition, finding satisfaction with food. So there's a lot of nuance to it. And I think the internet only sees making peace with food, which is that unconditional permission to eat. And that's where it gets lost in that message of eat everything in sight. So the easiest way to say it, it's a self-care eating framework that brings in instinct, emotion, rational thought, and helps you regain trust with your body again. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is – I mean, I remember when I first started trying intuitive eating when I was trying to get into recovery from my eating disorder and stuff, and it was so hard to figure – I mean – 
it was hard to figure out what intuitive eating was back then. And that was like 10 years ago before TikTok and really before Instagram was a really big deal. So I can't even imagine how confusing it is. And then there's also dieting is becoming a lot less trendy. Although I'm interested in your thoughts with Ozempic, if you think that that's changed, but it's very confusing. I think if someone's looking to work on intuitive eating, like you said, and then they're seeing these programs like Weight Watchers or Noom saying, using intuitive eating language and co-opting the language. Yes. And you know, Noom definitely before they partnered with their third party, whatever they, you know, doctors and whatnot that they use to prescribe Ozempic now, like years ago, Noom was really pumping that anti-diet message yeah. and confusing people. But I had, I don't know if I'll be able to find it. I had a someone on Instagram DM me like Noom's new ad. Mm. And I don't know. It was all about like Ozempic ah. medications. And what I'm basically trying to say is I think Noom is finally like shining a light on what they actually are, which is a weight loss like diet program. But for a while there, when the anti-diet movement really had a big boom, I want to say like in the 2020 time, Noom really pushed. Like if you Googled intuitive eating, Noom was the first thing to come up, which was so frustrating. Oh, that's so interesting. So have you seen since Ozempic, I mean, especially if Noom is now prescribing Ozempic and, and doing some of that, What has the shift been like in the past year with more companies pivoting towards that? Have you seen some of their messaging change? Definitely. And I think we've seen a change in consumers because first of all, I want to start with the disclaimer that nobody needs to feel guilt or shame if they are taking Ozempic, thinking of taking Ozempic, want to take Ozempic, have ordered Ozempic and it's on the way. Like everyone has full right to body autonomy and, you know, to make choices of what they want to do with their body. And I think it can be very confusing because traditionally diets are more so rules, right? Or calorie counts or macros or portions. Now we're crossing over into this new realm where people are saying, well, it's not a diet. It's a medical necessity, like a a medication prescribed by my doctor. Right. And so from my standpoint, being, being a weight inclusive provider, I still loop those medications in as diet culture because at the root, those doctors are classifying obesity as a disease. Now, I don't even like to use the word obesity in practice, but what we look at here is these doctors are saying the size of someone's body is a disease, which we know is not true because that would mean that weight would have to equate to health. So everybody in a smaller body would have a clean bill of health, wouldn't have a medical disease or condition. And then everybody, once they hit a certain size body, would have all these lab markers, right? Would have every medical disease or condition and there'd be something to fix, if you will. Mm -hmm. So what I see happening is this big shift of, okay, well, I'm not going to diet anymore, but this was a medication prescribed by my physician. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take it. And again... I think there's just so much nuance that comes with this conversation. Um, These medications were made for people with type 2 diabetes. We just do not have enough long-term research on how these are going to be affecting people that do not have type 2 diabetes and are trying to take these medications long-term. So we actually had a masterclass we hosted with Dr. Asher Larmy, who's one of my favorite physicians, and we walked through an extensive hour just breaking down symptoms, research. I mean, you name it on these drugs. So I can send that to you. We can link it in the show notes because yeah, 
I'm not a physician, right? And so right. it was being able to have this nuanced conversation with someone who has the power to prescribe these was so helpful. And so I apologize. I'm just going off on tangents. But going back to your question, like trends, I see a lot of people trying it. We also have a lot of people coming to our practice that have been on the meds, mm-hmm. had terrible symptoms, mm-hmm. and are now dealing with the guilt and shame of not only Mm -hmm. the diets they've done, but the irreversible effect on their digestive systems that now these medications have had on them. Diet diet culture is just so invasive. Well, it's so interesting too, because right, if we think about like we were talking about what diet culture is, what a diet is, Mm -hmm. what Ozempic is, is that the problem also I think with Ozempic besides you know, we don't have the research. We know that some people are having negative effects. We we don't have enough info to, to see how it impacts people long-term. But I think back to what is the core of intuitive eating? What is the core though of Ozempic? And it's not teaching you how to, I mean, I, I think it's tricky because I remember being in that spot and it's why I got super addicted to Adderall because mm-hmm. I just felt like my hunger was out of control. Yes. It was a problem. I would have argued that it was like a medical problem yes. that I had. And I, I've heard some of the stories about right people saying that Ozempic turned off the food noise yes. and things like that. And I relate and I get it. And I wish that right intuitive eating also does that. Like that's right. And it's a real relationship that's healed long term and like you said, obviously you and I also are I can speak for myself. I am, you know, a white woman with thin body privilege. Mm -hmm. So it's much easier for me to say, just do intuitive eating instead of Ozempic and it'll be better for you because I don't have to deal with what it's like to be in a larger body and, you know, the fat phobia that exists in our culture. But yeah, I think I just go back to that's one of the big issues with Ozempic is it's not actually helping you heal your relationship with food, heal your relationship with your body and, and get in touch with yourself. You're just kind of turning a part of yourself off. Yes. That's a, it's a great point that you have. It's like, it's basically like putting, if you have a broken wrist, it's like putting a bandaid on it where like it might help for a second. But as soon as we take that cast off or that bandaid off, it's like, it's still there. And I've heard that a lot with, with people as well talking about the food noise, but all that's doing right is it's messing with those receptors of hunger and fullness and whatnot. But what if we learn to trust those and listen to them without turning them off? And that's where the conversation is so, again, so nuanced. But we do have people that have come to us. Like, I always like to be very clear. We don't shame people for taking these. It's Mm -hmm. not like if someone's on it, it's like, no, we can't work with you. Like, if somebody chooses to use these medications and that's a conversation between them and their physician, then we absolutely will chat with them, meet with them, like work with them. It's something that we have to monitor, you know, very diligently and and make sure that they're monitoring their symptoms as well. But we're never going to turn someone away from the intuitive eating framework because they choose to pursue that. It definitely just makes things a lot trickier, a lot, lot yeah. trickier. Because you're trying to teach people how to get in touch with their hunger cues and, and things like that. And some of those, they don't have access essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like if we lose access to the medication, we can't get the prescription Mm -hmm. refilled. We can't pay for the prescription anymore because it is a hefty monthly bill, especially if it's not covered. Clients will 
you know, feel like a failure with how things are presenting when they come off of the medication. And it's like, no, this is this is just your normal body and, and your normal, yeah. you know, relationship with food coming back up. So instead of shaming ourselves, can we get curious about what those voices are telling us and what we're what our body is trying to say to us? So it's uh it's gonna continue to shift diet culture and and the intuitive eating paradigm, I think, for years to come. And it'll be very, very interesting the more long-term studies we get that are available. Um, because that's what I'm always looking for is that long-term research because it's so easy to see something that's like a three-month study or, you know, a tw- you know, a few eight-week right. study and, and want to jump on something. But we really have to look at how this is affecting the body long-term. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as someone who is on TikTok, very online, have you just seen a shift in people aren't as interested in intuitive eating or what would you say is kind of happening in terms of with the rise of Ozempic? How has that changed intuitive eating in the media? That's a great question. I think there's definitely been a dip of interest a hundred percent because I think in 2020 we experienced this rise of intuitive eating of, I think that's when TikTok really hit a boom. Um, so people like myself and other intuitive eating professionals that were on TikTok, we were able to expose people for what felt like the first, you know, like, Oh, intuitive eating's new. And it's like, no, 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 no. This Mm. has been around (laughs) since 1995. We're just talking about it. And so, so many people, were exposed to it. I had national news, you know, outlets wanting to learn yeah. about what is it? What is it? And now all we see in the headlines is Ozempic. And mm-hmm. so I've seen a huge shift. I also think because so many people tried intuitive eating without professional support, going back to what we talked about earlier, I get a lot of, well, I tried it and it doesn't work for me. But coming back yeah. to did we try it or did we stop dieting and think that that was intuitive eating? And yeah. so it's just that constant like educational you know, piece on TikTok of trying to tell people what it really is. And I always like to remind myself, like, it's not my job to convince people not to diet. Even though I'm a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, my job is to just present this information and those who are ready to receive it and are curious will come to it and want to learn more. That's much easier said than done, though, when the entire (laughs) internet is full of bullshit and you're trying to, like, not pull Mm -hmm. your hair out. But I would say I, from a media perspective, perspective, I've definitely just seen so much more coverage on the weight loss medications Mm -hmm. and so little interest in intuitive eating, or at least I feel that way myself. I don't know if that's, this is all speculation of feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when you're in it, it's hard to critique it sometimes too, but I also think that we're the ones who are in it and able to sometimes see the trends Mm -hmm. and things like that too. I mean, I think it also illuminates, right, that I think I had this feeling in 2020 that we were like getting over some of the bullshit and we were starting to like see the truth and, and you know, women reclaiming their bodies and things like that. And I think part of it that makes me really sad is it's like we were maybe only doing that because the media supported it or it, it also makes you feel like, Obviously, the media doesn't care, right? The media, their job is to sell things, to to keep up with the latest trends, to speak about, you know, what people want to hear about because that's what, you know, makes them money, obviously. And I think that 
I had really been like, we're entering this new realm. Yeah. And then Ozempic just made it be like, oh no, that new realm was just making the money. And it was like new and, and clickbaity and interesting. And that's why there was interest in it. It's not that we actually have evolved that much. 100%. And I think some of it could be too that like, this comes with a lot of privilege to say too of like, like we talked about like our thin privilege and whatnot. But you know, being in 2020, so many people were locked inside. Mm -hmm. They were working on their mental health because they couldn't go outside. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you experienced this as a therapist, but like there was a huge boom and people needing support. And so now that that is kind of like come and gone, like COVID still exists, but people are back to more of like life as normal. And I've seen that as people have had some body shifts and changes, just because we make peace with food doesn't mean we made peace with our body or this Mm -hmm. idea of what like what is an acceptable body so it can be really hard to make peace with food and maybe your body was meant to change Mm -hmm. and gain weight and that's what you needed and if we have not worked on our relationship with body then I find people are like oh okay like I'm feeling so much better I have more energy I'm not obsessed with food but I'm not comfortable in my body and Again, like totally understand where discomfort comes from. Their, you know, pain is valid. And it's a very nuanced conversation because is it a physical discomfort or is it a mental emotional discomfort of I don't like bigger bodies or I don't like mm-hmm. my body being bigger? Mm-hmm. And I've seen like that is something that's really interesting as people are all about the food freedom message and making peace with food and enjoying food. But as soon as the the body changes enter the chat, if you will. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't sign up for that. You know, or like, oh, I have to dismantle my own fat phobia. Nah, no, no, no. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, I think like food freedom can sound sexy and intuitive eating and making peace with food can sound amazing, but it is such hard work and there's so much social justice that comes along Mm -hmm. with it, like social justice work that has to come along. And I think that's where people would be like, nah, I'd rather just keep dieting. (laughs) It's just so much easier. And I've had people say that to me and I get it. I understand where they're coming from, but I can promise that it is a much more beautiful, fulfilling life when you're in the intuitive eating framework. But it's really, really hard. Yeah. I think that's such a good point, Sam, too. Because when I first thought about intuitive eating, I mean, I did crazy diets that even before intuitive eating was more mainstream. They didn't use the word intuitive eating, but it is very, like you said, sexy to be like, oh, you know, I just eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I stop when I'm perfectly full, like Mm -hmm. at a seven or, you know, whatever like those things are. And I would read books and it was always like a really thin white woman, you know, like drinking a green smoothie that's just like, this is what my body wants and needs. And I feel amazing. (laughs) And I think that's right. The problem is that's what we want is we we imagine like being in touch with our body means that we eat a small amount of food and we're in a small body because that's the way bodies should be, Correct. quote unquote, yes. because of fat phobia and all the things we've been talking about. And that's not what intuitive eating looks like. And I know when I had first was trying to get into recovery from bulimia and things like that, I was very like, I'm only okay with, right? Like I don't want to purge anymore but I don't want to binge, yes. <laughs> you know, like, and for me, it was really important when I was breaking that binge and purge cycle that I had to like, I was so scared to be full and I like yes. couldn't tolerate it. 
And the only way I was at first interested in recovering until it didn't work (laughs) was I am not going to purge, but I also am never going to eat more than I'm uncomfortable with. So I have to be, I have to eat a perfect amount so that I never feel uncomfortable. So then I never purge versus it being like, no, you're going to have to sit with the discomfort of being full. We all eat too much sometimes. And you, right, have this thing that you do (laughs) to undo that discomfort and you need to learn how to to deal with it. And that was the root of my problem. And I think a lot of people, when they're not getting into intuitive eating or struggling with it, it's like they like that idea, but I need to eat perfectly and then intuitive eating will work for me. Yes. Or if I do intuitive eating air quotes right, I Mm. will exist in a smaller body. Like if Mm. I'm doing it right. And that is not – truth. Sure, you may lose weight, you may gain weight, you may maintain weight, and your body's going to continue to ebb and flow and change throughout your entire life. And I think that is such a hard thing, however you want to say it, hard pill to swallow, hard thing to sell, hard thing to... And that's where I think it had this boom in the beginning because people heard the food freedom message, the enjoyment of food and pleasure in life. But then once we tie weight back into it, we still exist in this extremely fat phobic society that I understand why people want to do weight loss drugs. Even if they're like, eh, yeah, fuck it. I might have terrible symptoms, but I don't like my body will be smaller and I'll get the external validation. It's so difficult. But I think the more that we unravel like what we believe about bodies, what we believe about our own body through the intuitive eating process, you get to really shift your your views and your beliefs of how like my body is the least important thing about me. I don't really mm-hmm. think about it often. And it allows you to live so much more of a fulfilling, you know, passionate life because you're not obsessed with your body anymore because your body is going to change. It doesn't matter who you are listening to this podcast podcast, your body is going to change throughout your life. So again, that's not a fun thing to think about though, if your whole life, your mission has been shrinking your body. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's terrifying. I would say too, Mm -hmm. of just like, I think, I mean, I wonder if you can speak on this is I think people don't know what to do sometimes (laughs) because it takes up so much time, so much energy it is like a pillar in our life almost to not be worrying about what diet we're going to be on or changing our body or what we're going to eat. I think it it can be very alarming of, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And I think it's like, I just got off actually a discovery call with a new client like 10 minutes before you and I hopped on. And I think that's, people need to give their, themselves credit if they're saying those mm-hmm. things. If they're recognizing like, holy shit, I have been in this cycle for X amount of years and it has not only not helped me, but it's harmed me and I don't want to live this way, but I don't know what to do. Like saying those words is so profound because it's having the awareness of this is not serving me and I need help. And I need support. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where Mm -hmm. I would, you know, just say that is a beautiful place to be. I call it diet rock bottom. 
And that is that stage one of intuitive eating. And that's where I would highly suggest getting professional support because you are not meant to carry this burden alone. By getting support from a registered dietitian, certified intuitive Mm -hmm. eating counselor, you know, licensed therapist that has the credentialing to help, you can start to uncouple those belief systems and and make progress moving forward. Absolutely. So I want to pivot and ask you a couple questions just about motherhood and Mm -hmm. kids and stuff like that. Because I think that's something also that people are thinking about. And I hope I've seen more women talking about not wanting to pass on diet culture to their children and things like that. What are some tips that you have for maybe someone who's – maybe even if they're not like feeling fully like they're an intuitive eater, what are some of the things that they can work on? So I think it's so common. And again, I think it's such a beautiful place to be to, first of all, if you even have awareness and are saying those things, you are already an incredible parent. Like that is awesome. And I think, you know, thinking about I have one daughter and another one on the way, how many times I'm sure my daughters are going to hear, oh, you look just like mommy or like Mm -hmm. you look like mommy. So I think about that all the time is that how we speak about ourselves, right, is a direct reflection for our children, especially if they're being told that they look like us. Mm -hmm. But how we speak to ourselves is going to carry over and how they speak to themselves. So I have so many parents are like, what can I do for them and their relationship with food and their relationship with their body? And I will say this time and time again is the best thing you can do is work on your own relationship with food and your Mm -hmm. own relationship with body because that is going to pour over into Mm -hmm. those closest to you. And so an easy place to start is just the verbiage that we use, the language that we use. Even if you don't feel like you're an intuitive eater or that you have peace with food, we can start to have awareness of our language, of how we speak about food and if we tie morality to it or how we speak about our body. You do not need to stand in front of a mirror and grab your stomach and say, I love my body if you don't Mm -hmm. feel that's true. But we could just not make body comments or simply not bring that up in conversation. And by doing that alone, that shows that we don't have an emphasis on Mm -hmm. bodies. Another thing could be using books, um, children's books that are very body positive and do have the language because children are little sponges soaking everything up. So I always love to share my daughter's favorite book. um, And I I got a chance to meet this author on Zoom. They were incredible. It's a book called Bodies Are Cool by Tyler Fetter. And I always share this book like every few months, I feel like. But it's like one of the first books that my daughter was able to repeat back to me. I say bodies are and then she goes, Mm. cool. (laughs) And I think that's like, I just see it with her. She's only 19 months, but like what you teach them they will believe. Mm-hmm. And so it's, we are such an important influence on them. Mm-hmm. And so we sing songs about her, like the different body parts and how beautiful they are and how fun they are. And again, I think that stuff goes such a long way because we can't control what they hear at school. We can't control mm-hmm. what they hear in other, you know, homes to an extent, right? Or like influences of media, but we can be their safe place at home. I think language is a real, really important mm-hmm. piece. And kind of like we said before, getting support for your own relationship with food and body, and then you will plant seeds in the little one's mm-hmm. lives around you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I think another thing that's very like, I don't know if you relate to this, but very 90s that that happened because my, I mean, I was very much, you know, my family was very into diet culture and things like that, but they were also into, you have to love yourself and Mm -hmm. like how you look and all of that stuff. And I think that a lot of parents too, if some, if their child says like, I don't like how I look, there is like an argument that kind of takes place or Mm -hmm. a, no, you're not. You look at how beautiful, like trying to convince the child or whoever that they are beautiful. And back to your point, like bringing in body neutrality, using some of, I love the work of Lindsay and Lexi Kite um, and their book, More Than a Body, right? Mm -hmm. Which talks about, and you were talking about this too, Sam, of rather than us trying to force like our kids to like or love their body or us trying to force ourselves to like or love our body, can we talk about body neutrality? Can we focus on our child's personality or other things and really shift the focus to they're much more than a body? Yes, I love that because that's that's the work for adults. So that that should be reflected with our kiddos. And I think it's like always understanding if they're saying those things, asking them why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like did someone say something at school? I forget the stats off the top of my head, so I'm not going to try to say it cuz I'll butcher it, but I mean when we look at the stats of I know it's young girls and how they feel about their body. I mean, it is extremely young where they're able to associate that thinness is air quotes better, Mm -hmm. right? By society standards. So having those conversations, right? About not even about maybe their body, but bodies in general. And Mm -hmm. I think that can be so, so important because we know they're really not getting those body neutral messages anywhere else right now, if we look at our media at least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at TikTok or Instagram and stuff like that, what do you think are some of the the crazy diets that are going on right now? Or what are some of the things that adolescents are getting exposed to online with diet culture right now? Yeah. I think the the big ones that come up for me if we're still in this like parenting space, there are a few accounts that I'm not even going to say their names because I don't want to even give them the time of day, but they are in this camp of shaming parents that give their children air quotes processed foods or Mm. convenience foods, or they go into Costco and all of the, you know, uh, different grocers and will call out like, if you're giving your kid this, you're killing them or Mm. just using complete fear mongering of these foods that it comes with such privilege to say that. And then they'll turn around and have like a sponsored post a day later, like promoting clean (laughs) wine. And I'm like, (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? Like, okay. So I think that is one that I'm just seeing. And some of the funnier thing is a lot of these people aren't parents and you don't have to be a parent to make recommendations for nutrition for kiddos. But it's just, there's so much shaming. Well, yeah, they don't understand. <laughs> They'll be like, don't <laughs> give your kids this. Give them like raw blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, yeah. let's see you sit down with some toddlers. And I want to see yeah. that interaction live of how that goes. So it's, yeah, I think that is a big trend that I'm seeing is these accounts that are tearing down convenience foods in our supermarkets and making parents feel like terrible parents. And I think about myself when I was disordered, 
before being a mother, but also knowing the postpartum anxiety and depression I did have with my daughter, that if I was entrenched in diet culture on Mm. top of postpartum, holy shit. Like I would have fixated on like, I'm a terrible mom. Like, how am I going to implement this food? How am I going to – and it would have caused so much pain for myself, but also for my daughter. And so – that is something that I'm seeing. So like myself, my co-host Jenna on What the Actual Fork, we are constantly like stitching these videos and just being like Mm. friendly reminder, like feed your children whatever works for you. And a fed child is the best. And however we need to do that and make that work, like we will do it. So that is one for me. What about in the non-parenting space? Yeah, of like different diets and things that I'm yeah. seeing. I hope it's come and gone, but maybe it's just not on my FYP anymore. But like <laughs> this Bloom Nutrition bullshit, like the greens powders of mm. like, you need to drink this. If you're bloated, you need to drink mm. this. And it's like, no, bloat. It's like the new like lollipops. Yeah, it's like <laughs> bloating is a normal part of digestion. And like if you eat food, it's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. So that is a big one that I feel like has come and gone. Going back to what we talked about earlier, I think my FYP is like all intuitive eating just based on what I engage in and like what hashtags I use and all of that stuff. So Thankfully, I don't see a lot of the extreme stuff. I like forget that it exists, but I do see a lot of the intuitive eat. I'm going to use heavy air quotes, intuitive eating influencers, if you will. So people sharing their intuitive Mm -hmm. eating journey and talking about how it helped them intentionally lose weight. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, yes, your body can lose weight while you're intuitive eating, but intentionally fixating on weight loss and doing intuitive eating to intentionally lose weight should never be the mission because then it breaks those cues. And so I think that's one that I'm seeing time and time again. And that's how it's like gaining traction again is like intuitive eating and weight loss. So it's, it's been on my list. I haven't done it a lot to, to stitch these videos, not to, to spread hate to the creators because I I, I genuinely think some people just don't know because they're not certified and they're just trying to share their experience, but talking about why this can be harmful to promote that and how, Mm. like how much misinformation that is right there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, what's hard is it's, I think about a lot as a therapist online, the idea of concept creep Mm -hmm. and how, when you have a concept that comes out, when it's it's like a giant game of telephone on the internet. Everyone just hears something slightly different and then the concept has completely changed and we're talking about two different things, but no one is acknowledging that we're talking about different things yes. and just how words change and diagnoses change and the right, like even if we get into therapy speak, right? I'm sure there's almost a similar thing with nutrition speak where it's just like not accurate anymore and we're not talking about the same thing. And it, yeah, it's just like, if these people want to talk about it, you know, want to talk about intentional late weight loss and mindfulness, like that's fine. But yeah, using the word intuitive eating just causes a lot of chaos. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And yeah, there's times that my videos have been taken and pulled on the wrong side of TikTok. Mm. And then oh, I'm like no. watching these people stitch and like call me an idiot and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I didn't even say that. And like, that's not what I meant. But then again, like once they have their perception of it already and have gone with it, it's just, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's it's too <laughs> far gone at that point. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, Sam, as like a wrap up, if someone is listening to this and they're wanting to maybe protect their mental health or kind of check what they're seeing online and how it's impacting them in terms of if they are wanting a healthier relationship with food. Do you have any thoughts? I think for people who are online working with a professional to see how how is your your scrolling time and the and the things that you're taking and how is it affecting your mental health is huge just to bring that awareness into it. But from the piece of like bettering your relationship with food and body, I think it's knowing who you're following and what their credentials are because mm. anybody can create an Instagram account that says like food freedom coach body positivity and then like yeah yeah, and then I'll like (laughs) search through their content and I'm like oh my gosh they are still extremely disordered or spreading a lot of misinformation and it can be harmful so anyone that works with our team like we always give out a list of people to follow that we love I think it is important to follow especially if you're working on you know unpacking fat phobia and your beliefs about body size and doing the intuitive eating framework, following people that reside in all size bodies, right? So making your feet as diverse as possible with body size, sexuality, gender, I mean, you name it. It's its so important to see people that don't look like diet culture's ideal person, if you will, because that goes back to what we talked about earlier is even if people aren't saying it. If you're only following a bunch of thin white women talking about food freedom, that is telling your brain, I can still have that. Like that's exactly Mm -hmm. what it looks like. So the more diverse the feed, the better. And then from an intuitive eating standpoint, make sure they're a certified intuitive eating counselor. You can go to intuitiveeating.org and get the counselor directory. There's over a thousand now of us worldwide. And these are people that are highly certified in this work. And so you can know at least the information that you're receiving from them is safe and accurate, if you will. So I think that can be super, super important to to make sure that you're getting credible information. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your wisdom and all of your insight. Where can people learn more about you and find out more about your work or maybe work with you? Yeah. So our probably our Instagram would be the easiest place to go. So that's find.food.freedom. So there's periods between the words find food freedom. And we have all of our links on there. And um, we are now accepting health insurance, which we are super excited about because we had been private pay for eight plus years. So if you head over to our Instagram or go to find findfoodfreedomresources.com. You can get your insurance benefits checked to see if we can match you with a provider. We also have loads of online resources, group coaching, membership, online courses. So I always tell people, take what serves you, leave the rest behind. And again, head over to our Instagram to check all that out. Amazing. Thanks so much, Sam. We'll have to have you back to talk more about the internet and, and all the things going on. It was so great chatting with you. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy for my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 